I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome to the broadcast, folks. This is Theology Unplugged, and I am Michael Patton. And I am here at the Credo House, joined in studio this time by someone that many of you may know, may have talked to on the phone, may have heard her voice that that opens and closes just about everything we do. But Carrie's joining us here today. Say hi. Howdy. Okay, good. Yeah, you, you're always so quick to be able to talk whenever you're doing the introduction. We want to hear your voice a little bit more. Howdy. <laughs> Carrie is going to be here with us in studio today, and I, I'm just—I just placed you here, Carrie. Tim's not here, Sam's not here, but we're going to discuss a little bit. I'm going to talk to you. You can just say yes, no, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I—I—I've I, just got something to teach, and I'd like to have somebody there. Absolutely. And don't make faces at me like you usually do, okay? Okay. I mean, mockingly. Yeah, yeah. Don't do any of that kind of stuff. I won't. I it promise. It gets me real insecure, and I think I've got a really good topic to talk about here today. You, I'll let you fly. All right. Well, again, here at the Credo House, Edmond, Oklahoma, you guys need to come by and join us. Not going to go into any commercials right now. We usually start off with a kind of announcements about a few things. But I want to jump right into our topic here. Um, Carrie, you've been with me for a long time. You've been with me longer than anybody. Yeah. Uh, since the very beginning. you Ministry-wise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yes. That's what I'm talking about there. <laughs> Thank you for qualifying that. But, but you understand the the excitement that we have with what we are doing um just teaching theology i mean that is that is our passion that is what we feel like we are called to do is to be able to bring about theological renewal in some sense we we feel like we want to be used of god to bring about a theological movement within evangelicalism a renewal a, an excitement that we bring to the church that says theology is important theology is for everybody um, it, it's, it's one of those things that just keep me up at night, but there, there's a downside to the mystery. There's a dark side to what I do. And, and I'm going to share this with you. Okay. I mean, there's, there's, there's a real dark side whenever you want to, we're, we're unique in that we want to bring theology to lay people. Okay. I'm not trying to teach the academic type. I'm not trying to uh, work my way up to one day I'll be in seminary teaching at seminary. I don't want to teach a seminary. I want to teach just like I am because I want to teach lay people. However, there is a dark side to teaching theology. And, and the dark side has to do with what we're going to talk about here today. And, and I guess there's no way better to describe it than just theological arrogance. You see, the thing that we are trying to do is produce passion. Mm-hmm. And passion creates, and passion is an emotion. We, we want people to be passionate about their beliefs. We want people to understand how important it is to believe not only deeply, but accurately. And, and so whenever we preach, whenever we teach, whenever we, whenever we have a class on the Trinity, no, I want everybody to leave their passionate about the Trinity and understanding understanding that part of our worship comes through a right understanding of who God is and what he has done. And, and we can't worship God very well outside of an understanding. You see, the, 
God once said uh, to Jeremiah, let him who rejoice rejoice in this, that he understands and knows me. And that is a, a something that creates so much excitement. But at the same time, one of the difficulties is, is that it's so easy to create within people a passion that leads directly down the road of arrogance. And that is so hard because theology, that is the last thing theology should produce. I mean, we've seen that, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it's, it's sometimes we're scared when we get a phone call up here from somebody who's really excited. Because sometimes that excitement is going down the wrong avenue. It's not going down an avenue where there's grace and there's understanding and there's, there's trying to lift people up. But it's almost we work ourselves into a position where we think our understanding, our theology makes us better than someone else. Mm-hmm. It's a theological pride. Yeah. And where do we see this more at than anywhere else? Come on, you can say it. Calvinism. <laughs> you got it. That's right. I mean, that is it. And yeah. I've talked about this before. I've blogged on it before. But in our own circles, you're a Calvinist too. Yes. I'm a Calvinist. And it, sometimes it's the most frustrating thing in the world to talk to Calvinists. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they can produce, our, our that circle can produce the most radical, the most, gosh, passionately... Passionately hateful? Hateful. Yeah, yeah, hateful. That's a good word for it. And that's what you see. There's a guy that, um, that we, we don't want to be liberal, right? Absolutely not. I mean, uh, you see, you got passionate there right there. Yeah. Right? You kind of scared me. I'm <laughs> going to hit pause and let you cool down a little Rewind. bit. I just mentioned the word liberal I got, to I you. I got the glint in my eye. Right. I mean, we, we don't want to be liberal. And sometimes we think the opposite of being liberal is to passionately stand up. And I think in some sense it is. But at the same time, there's two roads to that passion. There's a guy that's a missionary uh, in Europe, uh, one of the Eastern European countries. And he, he, he says that he, he, he wants to have fellowship, Christian fellowship. You know, you kind of get lonely as a missionary sometimes, when, especially when you're full-time. And he wants to be able to find circles of fellowship outside of just that church that he is a missionary towards. Other missionaries, other people who are engaged in, in the work of God. And he, he says that he has two options. He says he can either go to this evangelical association which is very passionate, very good theology, and he's an evangelical. He agrees with them in theology, and so that is his circle. He can go to this association and fellowship with these guys, but he said this, and he was admitting this. You know, It wasn't something that he was proud of, but it was kind of given a pulse, and, and I think gives us a, a window into what we're talking about here. But he says he can also go to the fellowship down the street, which is much more liberal. People are, uh, you know, Christians in the sense that they want to promote Christ and some basics, but they're they're liberal in their theology. That he would not describe himself as believing the way that they do about most things. Um, less on the authority of Scripture, less on the importance of having good theology, more on the idea of let's go out and help people build things, that kind of stuff. Um. And he makes an admission. He says, you know what? 
I hate to say it, but whenever I get my chance, I pass by the evangelical place and go to the liberal place. And he said, the reason for this is because I find more acceptance. I find, and he doesn't have anything not to be accepted about. Mm -hmm. But he says, I find less weight on my shoulders. Whenever I go to the evangelical or the more theologically astute, I feel like there is a weight on my shoulder. I feel like there is, there is a, at any moment they're going to reject me if I say something wrong, if I, if I nuance something differently than they would. And you're always having to explain yourself and qualify yourself. Where he says in the other place, they, they accept you. And, and it's easy to be around them. And I find that too. You know, I find that whenever we are dealing with theological issues, it's very rare to find a person who is extremely passionate about their beliefs, but yet has grace in theology. And I think that's a good way to put it, grace in theology. Mm-hmm. How, how do we show grace? in the, We can talk about grace in a lot of things. You know, we, I wrote a blog the other day on grace and non-essentials and, and making sure that we... Um, we're kind to people and we're understanding, we're not judgmental and we don't say, if I was in your shoes, I'd be a lot better off type thing. But why can't we do that with theology? Why can't we, why can't we, we allow someone to disagree with us and still be friends? And I'm not saying, you know, we'll still be friends type thing, you know, we'll, mm-hmm. uh, you know, distant friends, but it, there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be a post-it note on your forehead from now on that every time I look at you, oh, he, he, he believes this. Mm-hmm. He disagrees with me here. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see you staring at that post-it note. Or they're just going to be scared that you're going to be looking for a post-it note. This is how they differ from me. And you know what? I love to hang around people that agree with me. I love to teach people. And my greatest desire is that people deepen in their faith and that they're orthodox in their faith. But I've got to teach myself this many times, too, because I can put post-it notes on people. Mm-hmm. And I can say, oh, you know, yeah, he, he's got all this right, but he's that charismatic guy over there. Mm-hmm. Glad Sam's not here right now because he's got a <laughs> post-it note every time we're doing theology. I'm Cessationist. Like, you know, that's right. <laughs> we'll he, just he, see it looks at you. Yeah. Glares at you. <laughs> I'd probably have a post-it note. No, actually, I, I would use Sam as a good illustration of someone who does show grace. Yeah, he really does. I mean, we're different with that, and he's mm-hmm. passionate about the continuation of the supernatural sign gifts right. and continuation of those things, but he doesn't let it get in the way of relationships. How do you do that? I mean, think of this. What if it's a not someone who just disagrees with you about uh, the continuation of tongues, but what if it's somebody who disagrees with you completely about the Trinity? Then we start going, oh my goodness. You know, I mean... I'm not supposed to have fellowship with him, am I? But the thing is, you have to ask yourself the question, what is it that we are required to do for people who are unbelievers? I mean, are we? Uh, it's almost as if if you claim to be a believer and have bad theology, you're in trouble. If you have bad theology and you say you're not a believer, we love you, you know? Oh, you're not a believer. I thought you were a believer. You know, now, 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 sit down and have a cup of coffee with me, and we can talk, and we can be friends. Oh, we'll talk about that stuff later on. You know, we're 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 
trying to evangelize you. But if it's a believer and he differs greatly, we automatically put these post-it notes. And, and until we get those post-it notes off, we don't feel like we're supposed to have fellowship with them. We can be theologically arrogant to such a degree that we feel as if it's our job 24-7, if somebody's around, to change them. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest problem in the world with everything, isn't it? I mean, take marriages, for instance. I mean, it, we've got, uh, Christy's got all kinds of post-it notes on her head, you know, that I want to change about her. And we've got, I've got to look past those. Got to have fellowship. Got to, I've gotten a lot more post-it notes too, you know. Then, then she, you know the post-it thing? You're looking at me like you don't know what the post-it thing is. Here, I'm going to no, Michael, post it. Michael, I'm going to put, I'm, I'm, putting I'm, I'm looking at the post-it on your head. Here, here we go. The one hair, that I have in my body. <laughs> I'm putting it on there for you. Hair, it, wait, I can't spell heretic. Heretic. There we go. No, I'm, li- I'm listening here intently. We go, here we go. No, no. <laughs> now I've got it. Awesome. We're, we're being for real, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Now I can't look at you. Okay, okay there you go. Um, I was on online the, earlier today, and I was uh, saying, getting ready to record a theology unplugged on uh, theological arrogance. And Scott, Scott Castro, shout out to my friend Scott. He's my Facebook friend. Mm-hmm. But, it, but he said something on there that I told him I was going to mention it because it was good. He said, well, here's what you should title it instead of theological arrogance. And we're going to title it this okay? because it's good. I don't know if we can title it this long. You'll have to figure that out. But he said, title it. I'm not judgmental. I'm just discerning. I thought that was good. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm not judgmental. I'm just discerning. And, it, and, and humble. <laughs> That's right. All at the same time. You know, he, here's the deal is that if you don't struggle with this, it's probably an issue. I don't know where... I, I can't give you... Here's the four points to do on this. All I know is that we are to be kind and gracious to people and passionate to all people. about yeah. our beliefs. Mm-hmm. And we are to have fellowship with all people, but a particular type of fellowship with, with our community that we serve in. I think sometimes we think, well, if I just act like, you know, this guy that comes in, he's a homosexual, right? If I'm just nice to him, then all I'm doing is condoning all day long, so i got to be mean. My continence has to be frowned. I have to uh, be ready at any moment to give him encouragement, right? Now, we don't believe that homosexuality is a good lifestyle, but I don't think we should see ourselves in every situation as the vessel of the Holy Spirit to change that person. To convict them. Yeah, yeah. Through, through the conviction, through the immediate conviction, whatever I, Lord, just give me a word to say. The guy's talking, you know. He's talking, so how you, how's your day been? And you're praying, Lord, just give me a word to say about changing this guy from homosexuality. Lord, just help me to, to, to say the right things and to do the right things and, and to stand up if I need to, you know? And I think we fail to recognize the glory and image of God in people whenever we do this. I mean, in people, they're people. They're the images of God. Mm-hmm. And... I want nothing more in my ministry than to lift people up with what I believe is the gifts that God has given me. Mm-hmm. But that's not all I do. That's not all I do. I'm there sometimes just for people. i got to be there for people. People who disagree with me. People who are anti-Trinitarian. People who are homosexual and, and fight for homosexual rights. 
And I've got to do it without a scowl on my face all the time. I've got to have grace in my theology and keep my conviction. You see, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden, well, if you do that, you're just going to the liberal place. Mm-mm. No, not at all. Because you're recognizing God and his sovereignty, and, and you do look for opportunities to be a witness, but that's not the only thing on your mind. The post-it is not the only thing on your mind. Um, in, in Mark, I, I, I really like the, uh, the, the sons of Zebedee. That they're great guys. I mean, James and John, <laughs> they're perfect for this. They're perfect illustration. I mean, what, the, what is their name? It is called the Sons of Thunder. I mean, they are passionate. And, and Christ is on the scene, and they're his apostles, and they've got the truth. Others don't, right? They're in Christ's inner circle. Not just his circle, but his inner, inner circle. And their passion, I think, drives them to this arrogance right off the bat. And I think that's, that's the same thing that happens to most people who first come to theology. Their passion drives them to an exclusion and separationist mentality and, and to an arrogance. And some people never recover. Mm-hmm. James and John in Mark chapter 9, um, you remember the, the instance where John comes up to Jesus and he says, Teacher, this is... Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Hey, you stop there and you say, that's good. I mean, that's what we've been doing, right? It's our ministry. It's something that you've sent the 70 people on to do. But notice the next. And we tried to stop him. (laughs) He's not in our inner circle. I mean, we tried to stop him because he was not following us. And, And notice how Jesus responds. He says, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And and I want to focus on their attitude more than anything else. Their attitude is one that says, we've got to have everybody exactly like us. Fall under our authority. Teacher, he's not following us. Who's to say what he's gotten wrong here and there? Teacher, you know, he may be doing it in your name, but you know what? I'm suspicious. That's what theological arrogance does. It's, a, it's an automatic suspicion. It's, you've got this whole deal of post-it notes in your back pocket ready to tag anybody at any time. That's what James and John did. They said, look at this. This guy over here, we haven't decided what to write on this post-it note yet, but we've got the post-it note there, and we're ready. And we know it needs to be written on. Arrogance. And this is not a good thing. It's not presenting James and John at this point in a good light. As a matter of fact, Mark goes on, poor poor sons of thunder, uh, in this next chapter, states it brings up an instance with them again. I, I think this is unique to Mark. So Mark is really getting on James and John. But in chapter 10, in verse 35, it says, And James and John... The sons of Zebedee came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, notice here. Do whatever we want, all right? That's the, what will you? Commit to it before we ask it. But we want you to do whatever we want you to do. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and the other at your left in glory. 
I mean, look at the pedestal that this inner circle is beginning to place them upon. We're your inner circle. And we have the right to ask this because we're the closest to you. Uh, you know, and I think it's intentional of Mark here because we just had that instance where they were telling the guy to stop. Stop preaching Christ. We're not sure if you're right. Now, put us in your inner circle and put us on thrones in that inner circle. One on your left, one on your right. And notice here, he says, Jesus said to him, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup which I, or be baptized with a baptism which I am baptized? Listen to this. Yes, we're able. I mean, it's that idea that you've got it all figured out. This arrogance that, that all of a sudden you are in this inner circle and your job is to control everybody outside of that and place us on thrones so that we might be able to be your arms of control. And whenever we do theology, oftentimes that's where we go. And I think that's, that's a lot of times the arrogance. You know, when we see it in, in so many of these Calvinist people, I believe Calvinism. I believe in the, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I think it's, it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a wonderful thing that should cause us to be broken, not arrogant. I think it, it, whenever we, whenever we understand theology, not just Calvinism, but any theology, we should come to the place where, where it is, it has humbled us. And, and I do see that. I'm not saying I don't see that. I'm not saying that there aren't people out there that are like that. I'm really humble. <laughs> well, yes. I, mean, I was going to bring you up as an example, you know. And, but see, I just pointed it out. I know, so that's prideful. So, so I can't, I can't use you as an example screw anymore. Screw tape letter situation. <laughs> we may have to be a little bit less unplugged and edit that out or something. Okay. You know, I don't know. Let's I'm just kidding. No, we're not editing it out. Okay. Carrie usually usually edits them, so she got real sad right there. She got, okay. Okay, we'll edit it out. Oh, I'll edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the, folks, listen, and I, I'm talking to all, all, do we do this? Do we talk about this in the theology program ever? I mean, just come straight out and say, listen, let me, let's take you aside for a minute. Let's take you aside and, and talk about your attitude towards theology. I don't know if we do. I don't think we ever do. I can't. And being well familiar with, with, with everything now at this point, I can't really think of a time that that's brought up. Well, it may be something that we say, let's take this broadcast and make sure all of our students listen to it or something. Yeah, definitely with a new, new semester starting. Yeah. This is a really good opportunity for that. Well, I mean, here it is, and I'm talking to all of you out there right now who love theology like I do. You, you need to examine yourself. I mean, are you going to be one... That whenever people come around you and, and discuss theology, are you going to be one that's, that's a weight that's continually upon their shoulder that they would pass by your house next time and go to the liberal's house? Now, I'm not saying that, that, um, in any sense you give up your passion, but it's the balance. It's the balance between that passion and that grace. And, and, very few people automatically go there. The default is to build up your theology, become theologically astute, and then go change the world one person at a time. 
and sometimes one baseball bat at a time. And you, you, you see, sometimes you, you go, well, it, it, it doesn't work. But at that point you say, well, I'm just in the inner circle. I'm, I'm just on a, a throne. I'm, I'm in a special place. And if it doesn't work, it's not up to me. It's up to the Holy Spirit to convict them. And so I'm just going to keep on beating away, proclaiming the truth. And, you know, maybe I'll be persecuted because of it. If you want to live right and do right and preach right and believe right, you're going to be persecuted. And we make those excuses. But, you know, we, we are to be people of grace, people of kindness, people of grace in our theology that we hold so passionately and we so dearly, deeply want people to believe rightly Yet at the same time, we are not a weight on their shoulder. We're not a burden. And that's trusting the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the end, you tell people something. I mean, if, if you were in here and you're an anti-Trinitarian and, and we're talking about it, I will stand up for the truth and I will say it's very important. I think it's one of the most essential, central aspects of Christian theology. And to tell you the truth, if you don't believe in the Trinity, I do question your salvation and your commitment to the Christian faith. I'll, I'll tell you that. But I'm not going to tell you that every time. Because next time we may be talking about football. And I'll really be thinking about football. Even though I desperately want you to come to the knowledge of the truth. We may have a cup of coffee, and we'll talk about the coffee here at the Credo House. You're not going to get that from me every time. And you're not going to think he's going to sneak it on me. I'm going to be strong, and I will be one who stands up for it. But in the end, I've got to release it. And that's the thing. It's, it's releasing your witness to God. It's taking a firm stand whenever the subject comes up, bringing the subject up whenever there's an opportunity, but then releasing it. Do you release your theological convictions to God so that he can work within that person? And if that person never comes around, do you stay away from them? Do you not talk to them anymore? No. That's the thing we've got to ask ourselves because I think sometimes we do. It's just we feel like that that's our job as theologians. In the end... It's not about being discerning. That's not the issue. We're strong in our theology. You can't say, I'm not judgmental. I'm discerning. It doesn't work. We are those who carry the gospel of grace, which has beliefs behind it. But we don't carry a burden that we're placing upon anybody. We're free of them. Freedom to the truth. I don't know. Um, Carrie, we've seen it. We'll continue to see it. But that is the thing that I try to, try to you know, in, in my thoughts. If I ever said, I, I understand people. I, here's what it comes down to. I understand whenever people say I don't want to teach theology because it creates monsters. So it does. It does. I mean, but the truth is too important not to teach. But I understand. I understand churches and pastors who say, you know, we tried that once. And we had all these people and they became so arrogant and they fought and fought. 
Why does it do that, folks? Why does it do that? We, we can't do that. But I understand it. And that's one of the things that we have to stop before. And, and as a ministry, as, as the theology program gets ready to get started, and I'm going to be talking about that in just a moment, we've got to reflect upon that and ask ourselves, what are we creating? Are we creating monsters? <coughs> Carrie, tell us about our classes. Okay. Well, uh, the, the new semester starts Tuesday, okay. the 14th, and we're offering four of the classes this year, or this semester, rather, um, Introduction to Theology, Bibliology and Hermeneutics, Trinitarianism, and Soteriology. Um, Michael and Tim will humbly be teaching those classes. Both online and here at the Credo House. <laughs> and here House. at the Credo House. Okay, so if you're in Edmond, Oklahoma, you can come up to the Credo House and take them. That's right. But if you're anywhere around the world... You and if you're, that's right, through uh, our, the platform of Adobe Connect Pro. No longer Pal Talk. No longer Pal Talk. And uh, another class that we're offering is an elective with Robert Bowman. It's an apologetics course on critical thinking. And also. This is our seventh apologetics course. It is right? our seventh apologetics okay. course. And, and Rob's taught them all. And Rob has taught them all. He is the apologetics master. And he, he, is. he is a man of grace, too. He, he is one of those guys. That I would put up and say he has conviction and Absolutely. grace. Absolutely. Out of out of all the things I've learned taking his classes and sitting in on his classes, out of all the many facts that the man has, because he's an encyclopedia, the mm. the one that has really impacted me the most is his gracious manner. Mm. Uh, I wish I could reflect that. I certainly don't. When yeah. I'm in debate or yeah. whatever, I wish I could be more humble. But anyway, uh, those are the things that we're offering on Tuesday. And then we have the discipleship program, which we're really excited about. That's a brand new program that Michael and Tim, Tim Kimberly, have been developing over the past few months. And it kicks off the Wednesday, this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, which is discipleship the program, folks. That's for everybody. <clears throat> Theology programs for everybody, but the discipleship program is nothing to be afraid of. Basics of the Christian faith. For 10 weeks. It's, it's what, how to think rightly and also how to act rightly. So it deals with orthodoxy and orthopraxy. orthopraxy exactly. Yeah. And definitely grace will be part of the practice, mm-hmm. right practice. Because yeah. if you have right belief, you need to know, as Michael was talking about, how to share that with people. I'll provide the baseball bat. Tim will provide the grace. The, the, exactly. <laughs> Tim being... Per- Tim Kimberly. Yeah, no, I was going to say being pretty much sanctified at this stage completely. Completely. Making us rethink Wesleyanism. That's right. (laughs) Um, What is the quote from Winston Churchill that we have up on our TV screen? A fanatic. A fanatic is one who cannot change his mind and won't change the subject. Folks, we're not fanatics in that way about theology. We are not those who cannot change our mind and won't change the subject. Mm-hmm. We're passionate, not fanatics. Maybe a good distinction? That's a great distinction. All right. Hey, another shout out to Scott Castro. That's nice fantastic. going. Good, good deal on your quote. They're my Facebook friend. Uh, we will name it since, right? Yes, we will. All right, Carrie, good to have you here in studio at the Credo House, and um, we will uh, talk to you guys next week. Bye. You have been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. These broadcasts are made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. 
for more information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit our homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.